0: Welcome to the 79th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Michael Olson, author of the new thriller novel, Strange Flesh. I wanted to ask again at the beginning, if you have listened to this podcast and found it enjoyable or found it valuable to your interest in writing or reading, if you could take two to three minutes And leave me a review on iTunes. It means other people can have a chance of finding the podcast within iTunes. Uh, The review process on iTunes is very simple. You just find the podcast and hit the review button and write a quick review. And of course, your efforts will be appreciated. Thanks a lot and stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Michael Olson, author of the new thriller novel, Strange Flesh. Strange Flesh has been described as hacker noir, and it's a suspense novel with sex, technology, massive multiplayer online games, and virtual reality. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Hi there, thanks. Sure. Well, first, can I get you to read the first three or four paragraphs of Strange Flesh?
1: Uh, Sure, I'd be delighted to. The human mind is prone to infection. I don't mean the scorching fevers, of meningitis, or the insidious tunneling of parasites from unclean food. These days we tend to use the language of disease to discuss ideas, viral memes, contagious media, vectors and payloads. We've all seen things that take root and keep us up at night. Many of us harbor thoughts that gradually poison our souls. In my case, a single vision has plagued my dreams for the past year or more. I'm sure it will haunt me for life.
0: Great. Well, if, I, I described Strange Flesh earlier very, very quickly. If, if listeners haven't heard about Strange Flesh yet, how do you describe the novel?
1: Uh, sure. Um, so I guess I, I generally call it a, you know, sort of a pretty sanguinary uh, mystery um, concerning um, what I sort of describe as the, the dawning of the heterosexual age, um, which is basically when our sort of um, erotic relationships. Um, start to become more and more deeply entwined with the internet. Um, And so when we began uh, with our narrator, uh, James Price, um, he's an elite, um, what they call a social engineer with a shady network uh, security company called Red Rook. And so a social engineer is um, someone who breaks into computer systems at um, corporations and enterprises using the techniques of um, like a traditional confidence man rather than your uh, sort of an, an engineer-based hacker, mm-hmm. um, and as we open, James is going through um, a hard time. Um, his engagement has recently uh, broken off, um, and he's engaging in kind of some, uh, I guess I'd say, uh, risky nocturnal behavior uh, to console himself. Uh, he's called into a meeting with uh, the Randall twins, um, who he knows from having attended Harvard with them. And uh, Blythe is the uh, love of his life. Uh, Blake, the his college nemesis. Um, and they've just inherited, uh, IMP, which is one of America's largest, uh, media companies. And their problem is that they need his help with, um, is that their half brother, Billy, um, who's this sort of game, uh, obsessed transgressive artist, um, who is, you know, sort of generally seeking to kind of undermine their family empire, um, has just sent them this kind of grotesque video of him electrocuting himself. Um, and as James looks closer at the video, he sees that what he's really sort of symbolically doing is um, uh, virtualizing himself into this uh, decadent online world called Nob, and so the Randall twins want James to infiltrate this downtown um, artist colony called uh, Game to try and figure out what what Billy um, is up to. So at Game, James finds uh, a number of strange things afoot including the recent suicides of two uh, members of Billy's um, artistic clique. Um, and he also discovers that Billy started this lavish alternate reality game that's based on the writings of the Marquis de Sade. Finally, James uh, insinuates himself uh, with this uh, glamorous group of technophiles who are working on a secret project that they think is going to um, really revolutionize the world. And that's kind of the moment at which things start getting really strange.
0: Right. Right. Well, I I know that you're that you've worked as a software engineer yourself and you have a master's degree from New York University's interactive technology platform. Is that is that correct?
1: Right. Yeah. Interactive uh, telecommunications program. Right.
0: Right. Um, And for people who who are for people who are diehard players of, of massive multiplayer games now, such as World of Warcraft or Eve or there's a new one based on Star Wars. Right. Th- those players understand the the fun of playing these games, and some would even say that the games can be addictive. I know that many people used to jokingly refer to EverQuest as EverCrack. However, <laughs> right. however, I feel like in a lot of ways, with the exception of like there was a South Park episode that parodied uh, World of Warcraft, but but I think like on the the greater consciousness of pop culture. Uh, that these games are still kind of under the radar screen. And, and I'm just curious, I mean, given the book that you have written and, and your own knowledge of technology, with, with, with technological advances going on now, like the Kinect the controller for Xbox, or if you want to even take something even more recent, just in the last 24 or 48 hours, these these uh, virtual reality uh, eyeglasses that Google is working on. Where do you think that these games are headed, and do you think that more player, more people will end up playing them?
1: Um, yeah, I, um, I really do. I mean, um, so certainly um, MMOs have been a, um, a you know a huge uh, story in terms of um, game development uh, recently, and and um you know have massive uh, online player populations not not just here but um, you know obviously across the world and in uh, and in Asia um, and so certainly among the younger generation you know I would say that they're uh, very much part of the the you know um, cultural milieu sure um, we you know that I guess one of the issues is that they're extremely you know time consuming and then um, <laughs> also can be uh, you know com- complex and difficult to figure out I, you know I think this is the sort of perception sure. um, but you know as we start seeing um, interface technology um, you know sort of making its way into our homes that makes it easier you know so that you can like interact with a virtual environment in more of a natural um, way with you know with your bodies in terms of like physical gaming type things um, or using voice commands and stuff like that to where the whole experience is a little bit more intuitive uh, I you know I think you can imagine seeing you um, uh, I think a much wider, uh, you know, penetration of games like that into the sort of like broad-based gaming community, which at this point um, really is not just limited or not just restricted to young people. Um, you really see a pretty pretty broad penetration into um, all age groups, in, in, like in terms of you know, casual gaming or online gaming or, or what sure.
0: have you. Sure. And, and I, I think it's interesting too. I mean, you know, obviously in, in reference to your book, Strange Flesh, that, that, um, now for, for the most part, a lot of these games are, 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 built and produced by large media companies and and as a result a lot of them i feel like are are kind of aimed at at almost like a 10 year old audience there's there's you know i mean like world of warcraft not that i spend lots of time thinking about this but there's almost a complete absence of sex in the game and and even the violence is kind of cartoonish do do you think that eventually there's going to be uh mmos that that uh, are designed from the ground up to be more adult-oriented and and for you know to to have more mature themes, not just not just you know about sex.
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, I think I, I think right now it's certainly the case that um, you know these um, big flashy games, uh, you know, like the new Star Wars one or whatever, um, are just incredibly expensive to produce. Yeah. yeah, and that and that you know produce and run and you know and all that kind of stuff. But when you have a really big hit, the amount of money they make is, 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 uh, literally just incredible. So I think that tends to produce the same kind of, you know, sort of like, um, and I'll use this term loosely, but sort of Hollywood type, right, um, right. you want to hit a real general mainstream, um, audience with them. Now, as it, as it becomes like, so not only are, you know, games getting, um, better and better, um, and more easy and intuitive to figure out and play, but also the tools used to make them are getting, um, uh, you know rapidly better. And so is that you know, what I would imagine is as as we see you know people start to develop really good game making tools and mm-hmm. kind of like platforms where you don't have to you know write everything from scratch right um, that you would see a more independent gaming community um, develop. Um, you know even you can imagine the creation of sort of like grass grassroots games or whatever. Right. Uh, that can really address a, a lot more niches in terms of content and I mean you do see a, see a little bit of that in the kind of like role playing communities in on, on you know sort of platforms like Second Life and places like that where people just come together to make their own games within the um, platform um, but, I, but I wouldn't say overall they have the sort of like punch or whatever as, as like a de novo um, uh, you know massive production game like World of Warcraft or something like that but uh, right. you know I mean it's like the community is out there and it's, you know, just a question of what it, what it develops into. Um, Yeah. And, and, and,
0: and I I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at, at the technology curve on, on, you know, in just about any um, uh, area or any vertical, I mean, the, the tools to get, get cheaper and cheaper. I mean, you know, you now have content creation tools that you can buy for, you know, three or four bucks on the um, iPad and, and create, you know, movies and, and, and songs, et cetera, that, that, you know, it's just kind of mind blowing when you, when you think about, you know, how an album was made even 20 years ago. So I, I think you're right. I think there will be like, right. I think that, you know, once those tools come down and in price and complexity, you're going to have a much more organic and people, you know, doing kind of homegrown, uh, you know, MMOs.
1: Yeah, it'll be, it'll certainly be ex- exciting to see how that, how that develops. I mean, yeah. you know, I would say there are some countervailing type trends in terms of like games generating certain network effects and you know sucking all the oxygen uh, out of the room for other games, like that kind of stuff can happen. Yeah, and you know also there's the just the technical escalation that happens, right? You know if you want to work on the cutting edge, um you know with regard to video or whatever, you know we've seen that sort of prosumer tools can get you pretty far along the curve. But there are, of course, complexities with games, especially MMOs um, that might, Lead one to believe that that um, that that curve is still a little bit far, farther out in the future.
0: Oh yeah, uh, yeah, certainly, so, you know, certainly. Be,
1: it, it, it's certainly an extremely exciting uh, exciting space um, to 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 watch develop, and we're just kind of at the at the beginning of it right now.
0: Sure. Well, you you've worked as a software engineer. What what was the experience like for you writing Strange Flesh and and, and writing a a fiction novel? Did you find any parallels between your between your uh, software coding or is fiction writing completely separate from the skills and talents of computer programming
1: um i, I mean there there's certainly uh very different um i guess processes that that to me you know felt pretty different um you know while I was doing them. I did take certain um, attitudes um i guess from from programming that um, i think really helped me at least get through the 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 first draft of the book and so that's things like you know functional decomposition so when you begin a novel right that's like a you know pretty daunting task um, and you know your progress can be extremely uh, slow <laughs> and seem in, insignificant at first um, large problems and break them down into the smallest possible ones, so that it, you know it becomes more a question of just figuring out one scene or one line of dialogue, and through that, you know, um, when you commit to that process, you see the eventual kind of um, accretion of triumphing over like little challenges that you know eventually kind of add up into the into the big thing, you know. So from you know motivation question and sort of thinking about structures and, and stuff like that, um, uh, you know, I think uh, I think that 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 was helpful. Um, But you know uh, they are very different in the sense that uh, um, you know uh, when when you're coding you can just compile it and and it kind of shows you and then test it and it works and you're like great. whereas you never really get that kind of payoff with writing, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, yeah, you, so, need, you
0: need to come up with a compiler for novels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in, uh, in, in, indeed. Um, yeah.
1: So, and uh, so I don't know. Oh, yeah, go, go ahead. I,
0: I was just going to say, so what, what was the impetus for you for writing Strange Flesh? Have you always written fiction or, or what made you sit down and start working on a novel?
1: Right. Um, no, this is definitely, you know, kind of the first first thing I'd ever ever really written. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I think I was one of those people who, who sort of always had a closeted uh, writer kind of locked up in, inside him that, you know, would be, um, I guess, revealed by overly elaborate emails and, and uh, 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 stuff like that. Um, so, it, it, you know, it was definitely something in my mind that I thought I wanted to try. Um, and you know, as evidenced by the fact that when I you know had sort of the slightest opportunity, i really jumped at it, um, and uh, you know, spent a lot, spent a lot of time actually um, actually writing the book. Um, but it, it was definitely a, a pretty um, sharp left uh, left turn for me in terms of uh, my career and all that. Um, but a really uh, rewarding one.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, as someone who spent a lot of time working with technology and thinking about technology what what are your thoughts about the rise of ebooks and and specifically, I was curious about um you know the 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 you know what some people are starting to refer to as kind of a social reading experience and and you know while I think it might be anathema to some people, I think that uh you know it, it would be very simple for uh most uh e-reading devices to have either a, a a column or box within the user interface that that shows um you know other people who are reading that same book and comments that they may be making in real time and i was just curious what your what your thinking is around that
1: yeah i mean you know so i'm very much a, a technophile um I, you know i think there are probably authors out there who are um, suspicious about the uh, uh, the um, rise of rise of ebooks um, and, and and I'm not like exclusively devoted to them I mean I often sure. you know when I have a favorite author come out I, like I'll definitely buy the hardback you know um, if nothing else for its sort of decorative uh, properties but on the other hand, um, I read them a lot and just the ability to dial up the type is is important enough for me to um, like to do a lot of reading on on the ebook um, just to you know prevent eye strain. Um, so you know, with regard to social reading um, type stuff, you know, when I'm personally um, immersed in a in a novel, the last thing in the world I want is a bunch of <laughs> annotations and, and and stuff on it. No, um, i, I, I on you know, you the same way. <laughs> right, right. Um, I like. I know that in you know, especially the the younger generation who are used to kind of Multimedia tasking and stuff like that—they're—they're they're used to watching TV with chat boxes and, and whatever open, um, and so uh, you know I think in general reading is a little bit more um, mentally uh, demanding of of focus than you know other sort of sort of more ambient media experiences. Right. Um, but you know I mean where where I you know where the idea of like social reading excites me is is in terms of like creating communities who are interested in books that are there for you after, you know, you've finished the book, uh, in terms of discussing it and, um, you know, finding, uh, finding new things to read and, and just sort of, sort of exploring the world of books. Uh, sure. But, you know, I mean, like, I'm sure, I'm sure all sorts of, uh, interesting developments are going to happen. It'll, it'll be interesting to watch what, what off and what works and what doesn't.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, are you working on another novel now?
1: You know, I've got a, a pretty diverse cast of, uh, of uh, projects in incubation, uh, mostly outlining right now. Um, and now that, now that Strange Flesh uh, has been loosed upon the world, um, you know, it's uh, definitely time to, uh, I think, pick one of them and uh, start banging away at it.
0: Right. Well, what, uh, given your experience with writing and, and, and getting strange flesh published, what tips or advice would you offer for aspiring writers who, who, you know, are pursuing the same thing of getting their novels published?
1: Right. Um, so let's see, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of really good, um, writing advice um, out there by by uh, uh, far better better writers than <laughs> I am so I'm, I, my first thing would be like you know read the books um, and w- which I think you know a lot of a lot of writers are sort of resistant to do for whatever reason but you know um, read what Stephen King has to say about uh, about writing and uh, uh, you know there's there's a, a bunch of other marvelous ones out there that are you know the sort of the compiled wisdom of other writers and there's not one way to write, but at least knowing the way, um, the you know the or the different ways and different strategies that the that the pros use, um, it, like is a really helpful base from which to to find out what uh, uh, what works. And so you know, for example, like the way I write is you know I make an extremely detailed outline, so I know exactly what I'm doing at any given point, um, which you know sort of like tamps down the fear of, of staring at a blank page and I know right. other people don't write that way or whatever but you know you should, you should figure out what it is that, um, that keeps you going and I think the one thing that uh, pretty much everyone will agree that you have to do is kind of like pick a consistent time every day that you're just sitting there writing um, and don't break that um, because um, you know whether what you write in that you know given period of time is wonderful or terrible. Um, it's always going to be better than, uh, than nothing, which is, you know, which is what happens to most novels, right? Is that they never get written. Um, so, you know, um, just getting, like figuring out the way to just get the words out, I think is obviously the most important. Um, and then, you know, just really, um, learn to appreciate the idea that, that, uh, writing is rewriting and that you can't set any kind of limit or anything like that on how much rewriting you have to do to get it right. Um. And you just have to really be prepared to take things apart over and over again until they until they really sing. Um, and then finally, I think um, one of the pieces of advice that I got that was really helpful um, that, that isn't super intuitive is that you kind of have to learn to be cruel to your characters. Uh, not in terms of like judging them or whatever, but in terms of um, the idea that you know, especially suspense writing um, thrives on... Um, uh, putting your characters into, into difficult positions. And, you know, I think uh, especially beginning writers have a tendency to kind of fall in love with their characters and try and solve problems for them. Um, you have to remember that your, your job as an author is to create problems for them um, and then, you know, kind of try and uh, let them solve them for themselves.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and who are some of the the writers that, that you enjoy reading that, that kind of uh, maybe inspired you along the way? In terms of fiction
1: oh I mean that's uh, that's uh, <laughs> certainly an, an incredibly uh, long uh, long list. Well, what's I mean the,
0: the top three or four that come to mind,
1: I guess sure. I mean just in, like in terms of what I was really trying to do with with this this book, um, you know the guys at the, the top of my mind were uh, William Gibson and, and Neil Stevenson, just in terms of like they to me are two authors that um, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that their books are about technology per se, but they're definitely—they definitely, you know, channel the sort of like technological zeitgeist um, sure. in such an acute way that their books actually, you know, if you go back and look at it, um, influence the actual development of the kind of technologies that they were that they were uh, um, envisioning. You know, for example, the. CEO of Second Life said that he got into the business because he read Snow Crash um, a long time ago. Um, and so, like, I definitely knew that I wanted to write about, um, uh, about a technology, and so the sort of, like, grandmasters of that, uh, you know, I would say are uh, those, those two guys. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, I mean, I could uh, have a giant list of, uh, of uh, favorite <laughs> authors, but those, those are probably the most relevant.
0: Right, right. Well, where can people find you online?
1: Uh, Sure. Um, I've got a website that's uh, michaelolsonbooks.net, or then, um, you know, there's an author page up uh, up on Facebook.
0: Okay, and I'll have links to those in the show notes. Well, again, we've been speaking with Michael Olson, author of the new suspense novel, Strange Flesh. Michael, thanks for doing the interview.
1: Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it.